Greetings, church. It's uh, the end of February, beginning of March uh, 2021. We're almost a year now into this pandemic season of wilderness, with the, the wilderness being the metaphorical image we've, we've carried all along this journey. Um, the, the wilderness is this place where we find ourselves when we're thrust out from what used to be normal and we're not to a new normal yet, we're sort of wandering together on our way, wondering what a better future looks like together. So we're, we're, we're seeking to use this time in the wilderness constructively, where we're not monopolized by doing that normal thing that we used to, and we're not settled into a new normal yet uh, that feels rigid, where we can actually reflect on how to adapt so that our future together is better and more just and more peaceful than the normal we used to know. Uh, as we've used this time to look back on the life we knew and to look more deeply within, uh, we've sought to better understand these physical tendencies that have evolved within all of us as a creature. The tendencies to fight, to assume negatively about others and to tribalize with those who are like us. And we've considered how these tendencies instinctively and organically take shape collectively in our culture as these destructive isms. This is the racism, the, the antagonism, the, the rugged individualism, and, and, and so many more that we've considered in this series that we think our ways forward, we think will save and protect us, but actually are wise because they counterproductively destroy that sense of belonging and safety and peace that we all crave as a people. And, and, and so the way forward is a different way than what our physical tendencies tell us. Um, we've named the need for a spirituality, whether that's grounded in a particular practice of religion or not, that is different from and counteracts these physical forces and voices. Um, locating a, a different guiding voice that speaks a different word and vision about who we are and how we relate to one another. And we've started to consider some different practices that anybody can do um, that nurture that spiritual voice within to help us move beyond these physical, animalistic, counterproductive uh, destructive tendencies. We've considered the spiritual practices of what prayer really is, uh, meditation, mindfulness, and the difference between the two, uh, gratitude, seeking honesty, and what we say, but also in what we hear, you know, evaluating what we hear. Um, we've, we've considered the practice of fasting, not just refraining from certain foods in, on particular days for legalistic reasons, but this practice of refraining from consuming other voices and ideologies simply for self-serving and self-indulgent ways. Uh, we've considered the practice of feasting, eating with a purpose, where the practice of giving and receiving hospitality opens up a new space between people where we can nurture an, a new peace with those with whom we eat. Uh, uh, 
these spiritual practices we've acknowledged can't be practiced by any other animal. These are what set us apart and make us unique um, is this capacity for a spiritual dimension to our living and not just a purely physical one. In this episode, we consider the ninth uh, spiritual practice, um, which is simplifying. Um, I wonder what associations come to mind when you hear the word simplifying. Maybe you think of technology and how the purchase of a particular object or service makes a task easier and therefore makes life more simple. Maybe you think of organization as a pathway to simplicity and how the pathway to a life of less effort is to have better lists and schedules and routines and systems for where things belong. Maybe you think that of simplifying as an exercise of going from more to less, uh, seeking fewer objects, fewer items on the to-do list, fewer appointments on the calendar. And these could all be expressions of simplifying, although, although some may be paradoxically counterproductive. We'll get into that in a later episode. But to best understand this practice, we have to go under the surface of these outward expressions of seeking simplicity. Under the surface, at its core, at our core, simplifying is not about objects, tasks, appointments, but about intentionally adjusting expectations. Because the goal of simplifying, the reason we might feel a compulsion within us to simplify is not actually about wanting to be more efficient, but it's about feeling less worry and fear. Disconnecting ourselves from worry and fear. And, and as we'll consider here, that worry and fear is directly linked to the expectations we form about the self, about others, and about the circumstances of our life around us. Our consideration of this spiritual discipline of simplifying is going to be spread across several episodes as we explore um, how expectations around things like possessions, experiences, career earnings and ladder climbing, or political or religious beliefs lead to the experience of worry and fear that are birthed out of these tendencies to fight, assume, and tribalize and drive us into these lives that just get life sucking. These are the kind of layers that we're going to consider when we ask questions like, where and why am I feeling so worried and fearful all the time? Why am I driven so deeply by expectations that are so complicated and burdensome? And how can I intentionally seek to simplify my life so that it's not just about this heavy and exhausting journey of trying to meet all these layers of expectations and worrying all times of day and night if I have the right possessions, experiences, goals, beliefs, and politics that will keep me out of fights that I can't win, reduce the chance of others assuming negatively about me and, and keeping, keeping me feeling in the safety uh, of belonging to the tribe with the Joneses or whomever else. So to understand why this is true, 
this this connection physiologically between um, worry, uh, fear, and expectation. We have to better understand how our brains have evolved to work. What we experience as worry is what our brains stir up when there is a an observable a, a, a difference, a, a difference we can experience between our expectations and, and what is actually true. This uh, worry experience that happens can be immediate. Worrying in the moment because of something we see or experience that does not match our expectations. This is seeing a pothole on 202 again, when for some reason we were still expecting that to be a smooth road. This is when no one says a word about our shoes, when we ex expected some sort of affirmation or praise because uh, we chose to wear them in, in a visible way. This is the boss frowning when we expected a smile. This is when our beliefs cause us to feel all of a sudden like we may not belong to the group because what we expected was the opposite. So in these very physical ways, our brains have evolved to stir up worry. When what we experience challenges our expectations of acceptance and belonging. And we feel like safety is compromised, like we might be stepping into a fight or per being perceived negatively or on the outside of the boundaries of the group or the tribe. Worry can also be anticipatory, not immediate in the moment, but anticipatory for all the same reasons when those of us who are Jedi masters at anticipating everything that could possibly go wrong are able to imagine or perceive a reality that is different than expectations, whether it actually ever materializes that way or not. Some of us lose sleep over things that might happen, potholes that might put our family at risk, others who might reject us because of our shoes, bosses who might frown, and political and religious tribes who might reject us because our beliefs aren't completely towing the party line. We have evolved to be prone to worry. It's a, it's a physical self-defense mechanism that keeps us out of fights we can't win, keeps us away from being uh, assumed negatively by those we need to keep us safe. And it keeps us in that place of belonging to the tribe so that we don't face the isolation, the danger, if not the death sentence of being cast out of the tribe and having to live this life alone. And brain science tell us, uh, tells us that when we physiologically experience this kind of worry in our childhood, that our brain is very good at creating new pathways that expedite a future physical reaction to that same kind of experience. And so what that means is that the second time we see a pothole coming and all the times after, we're able to more instinctively and quickly assign negativity and risk, and then respond. I once saw this like jacked up Jeep that could have climbed a mountain, slam into the concrete barrier 
in order to avoid a pothole. It was just this visceral, quick, irrational reaction based on expectations. And it caused a whole heck of a lot more damage than if that Jeep had been able to uh, overcome that immediate assumption based on seeing that pothole. This means that if we were laughed at as a kid for the clothes or the shoes that we wore, then for the rest of our lives, our brains have made it easier for us to instinctively make the negative assumption about how others are perceiving us because of our clothing or shoes. If we, um, as, as a young uh, new employee, saw our boss frown at us because we did something wrong in our first job uh, as a teenager, then, then our brains have made it easier to worry about and overanalyze every look of every boss forever and ever. We will more instinctually do that. If we were told as a child that having the wrong beliefs puts you at risk, is a danger, makes you an enemy, or will disqualify you from the tribe of heaven or America, then our brains have been predisposed as children in ways that make it easier for us to worry about believing the right things. Now, the science also tells us that creating new pathways in the brain, retraining our brain to not worry about these things that we spent our whole lives predisposed and worrying about, retraining our brain is, is very hard, but it is not impossible. It takes intentionality and repetition and paying close attention to the emotions that tell us the truth rather than paying attention to that deep-seated uh, instinctive fear that tells us lies. It's possible to move beyond our enslavement by fearful and misguiding expectations that our brains have programmed into our lives. It is possible to have a life of greater simplicity, which is not a life of greater ease uh, or organization but is a life with less fearsome worry. It's a life that may be demanding, but isn't so heavily burdened by these unchecked expectations. To do this, we have to listen to that voice within us telling us who we really are and what we really ought to do in a situation other than the voices of these instinctual pre-programmed physical tendencies. These expectations and the reactive instinctiveness to which we are predisposed in order to avoid losing fights or being perceived negatively or being left out of the group lead to lives of worry. And the external voices around us in this nation, in this world, prey upon these tendencies. As we'll consider in the coming episodes, the voices around us know that we fear being in danger and that we have the ability to anticipate a danger that will never, ever materialize. And that predisposition is used in so many different ways to get us to do or to believe or to buy. They know that we worry about having the right possessions so that we fit in. They know that we fear 
failing and being left behind if we don't accomplish or experience in the right ways. They know that we are prone to tribalize and that they can control us for their benefit by manipulating us with mandatory party lines and belief boundaries. We need a different voice in our spirit. Now, I find this voice in the witness and the teachings of Jesus, but as we've considered in this series time and time again, the golden rule spirituality that he brought to the world, the life of being driven, not by self-serving out of fear, but by a commitment to do intentionally unto others what we would want them to do to us, was and is uh, not exclusive to Jesus. Our expectations predispose us to act in worrisome and fearful self-serving ways, but the spiritual way of living by the golden rule encourages us to live and act in ways that consider the potential positive and loving impact on those around us. We can retrain our brains to live in this different and better way. So Jesus made this invitation to those who were seeking to learn from him and for their lives to be reshaped into closer conformity to his example. He said, do not worry saying, what will we eat or drink or wear for it's it's the Gentiles, those who don't know yet know uh, the truth I bring of God's goodness and grace, who strive for all these things. Those who are uh, yet disconnected from God and the divine truth and God's rhythms for this world uh, are worrisome. And indeed, he says, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. So strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Strive first for the kingdom of God, the, 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 the good and beautiful and peaceful ordering of society and this whole world by God's design and intention rather than our own, so often out of fear. So this, this word translated from the Greek is worry. When he says, do not worry, it, it most literally means being, being pulled or divided into parts or in opposite directions. We worry when our focus gets divided and pulled apart. When we lose a singular focus on life in the present, life as it actually is now. And instead, we allow our expectations and predispositions to draw our focus back to what was true in a previous set of circumstances in our past, the previous pothole or the grade school bully mocking shoes. Or if our ability to uh, anticipate what might go wrong negatively, worry, work, solidarity, draws our focus away from the present toward the future. And we're letting our focus get divided, either by these, these past-centric expectations or our future-centric uh, worrying. We open the door to fear when we're not present in the moment. So Jesus was, was not saying that we should never be concerned for our well-being, 
especially if there's a legitimate and real <laughs> present danger. What he was saying is that we learn, we have to learn how to keep our focus squarely on the present so that our predispositions based on past experience or anticipated experiences cause us to be reactive in ways that are not actually fitting in the situation. Don't worry about that pothole to the point that you crash into the barrier. Don't worry about what others think of your clothes to the point you spend money you don't have and hours uh, considering your options uh, in the closet. Don't worry about the boss's frown to the point that you overwork or you apply for new jobs. Don't worry about towing the party line to the point that you betray your conscience. These are all based on assumptions and expectations that are not actually real in the present. Stay focused on what is actually real in the present, not in the past, not what might happen, but what is actually real now. Don't live in the past. Don't live in the tomorrow that you are fearfully imagining. Live in the now. The one thing that Jesus taught far more times than anything else was not actually about love, although that was his keystone teaching. His most frequent teaching because of the way it can derail our efforts to live with an intentionality of love for others is to not fear. That's what he taught more often than anything else to not fear. Again, he wasn't saying disregard legitimate fears that protect you from clear and present danger. You know, if the pothole is actually a king of Prussia sinkhole, fear it. <laughs> he was saying, don't let unfitting and unchecked fear and worry dictate your living. He also said that worrying actually won't help to add a single hour to your life. And what we're actually learning from the science is that worry actually does the opposite of what we hope it will do. We think it will save and help us, but it actually hurts us. It doesn't add to our lives, but detracts from our health and our life expectancy. The World Health Organization expects that the prevalence of dementia will have risen by a third between 2010 and 2030. And we know that higher cortisol levels, which come from worry and fear, um, have been associated with an increased risk of cognitive decline in Alzheimer's. American Medical Association studies have revealed that life expectancy of Americans has declined since 2015 after having risen every year from 1954 to 2014. And this correlates directly to the increasing levels of worry and stress. We are worrying and working ourselves to ill health and to death. A letter attributed to early Christian leader, Timothy, um, contains you know, this bit of guidance based on his commitment to the way of Jesus. He, Timothy writes this, God has not placed within us a spirit of fear or cowardice, but rather a spirit of power, the ability to make good things happen, a spirit of love, the ability to act with intentionality for the well-being of others rather than just reactively for the sake of self. 
and a spirit of self-discipline, the ability to be discerning, thoughtful, sensible, prudent, to do what is fitting of the reality of the circumstances. The spiritual life, the life of a more universal and creative voice within us is not driven by worry and fear and lacking the courage to do what is fitting. The spiritual life is the life of intentionality, goodness, love, and fitting action. Although this kind of intentionality is more demanding than lives of simple reactivity and instinct, the promise is that it is also better, healthier, and more fulfilling. Jesus made that promise this way. Come to me. Come to my way of being and living. All who are toiling and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to his way. All who are living with exhaustion, worry, and the constant burden created by expectations and discover a more restful, healthy, powerful, and good life. Do not worry because it will not add a single hour to your life. Stay tuned as we begin in the next episode to consider how to intentionally disconnect ourselves from these unhealthy expectations that drive us to worry and instead to seek a simpler and a healthier life. Stay home, stay safe, wear a mask, get a vaccine if you can, please. Be well and warm and peace to all.